All right, here we are at Shabbat once again. We're uh, going to be looking at a few different passages today. I've entitled this, There's a War Being Waged. And this has really been hitting me recently, probably more because I'm involved in more contact in the work world, and also reading through Psalms, and just how David in particular is portraying his walk, his existence, his life, and all the enemies that he has. It's been really amazing for me to read again the Psalms of David. So I've been laboring under this idea of we're really in a warfare, we're really in a battle. And, and I don't want to bring it across as it's real negative and something heavy, but I don't know about you, but I tend to forget that we are engaged in, in a warfare. There's really only two sides. There's light and darkness, Satan and Yeshua, um, wicked and righteous. I mean, there's no in-between. But somehow, maybe growing up in America, we've learned how to live in that in-between realm where we don't really see lost people as how the Bible describes them and as we were. We're wicked. You know, we, we measure our wickedness on this scale of, this is kind of not so bad, this is really bad. But God sees it all more or less the same. And so as believers, those of us who, who know Yeshua, we have to understand that we have an adversary. He operates probably twofold in the spiritual realm. He attacks us spiritually, but he also uses the unsaved around us. And I tend to lose sight of the fact that that unsaved person right next to me, though a very nice person, has never done anything to me. I, this sounds, you know, when, you, when you're working on this stuff, it doesn't sound so bad in your head, then when you start vocalizing it, it sounds horrible. <laughs> that, that person next to me ultimately is categorized as my enemy. Meaning, if it ever gets pushed to shove, unless they're really, really good friends of ours, if there's ever going to be persecution, I just have a feeling we would be disowned by a lot of people, even our family. So, is that, am I making this clear? Because once I get in my head and get thinking through all this stuff without having verbalized it, one, I think I always sound like an idiot, two, I don't know if I'm making any sense. But... Basically, what you're saying is when persecution and hard times rise, right. people will choose sides. The people will choose sides. Right. You know, that's why, uh, you know, it says that you went to see the enemies in prison and you joyfully took the spoiling of your goods. You know, what happened was once, in, I think it's Hebrews, once these believers identified with those that were put in prison, well, then they opened themselves up to be known who they were, and as they did that, then they, they lost their, 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 their goods, their possessions. You know, they, it didn't happen until they became very um, uh, external in their alliances. I'm going to go see that guy in prison. Uh, was it Barrows? Who was that guy in, in that book that... Uh, the, the Calvinist, the Puritan that got killed, you know, he was in the prisons, I forget his name, yeah. I mean, it might have been William Barrow or Barrows or something like that, but anyway. But so these people went to see them in prison, now they're recognized as being in connection with those that are the enemy of the state, and then the enemy of the state becomes now 
the enemy. And so that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, I always stumble over myself on this stuff because I always, I just don't want to sound any worse than I mean it. But the truth is, we're in a warfare. We're in a battle. And if things get to the point where we're going to be living to where there's a lot of persecution, we can't be taken blindsided by the fact that the person we thought was our really good friend or that family member that we thought loved us is going to turn on us. Right? It's just going to happen, and, and we see it in the Bible. So anyway, there's a war being waged. Um, we're going to read Psalm 37 in a minute, so turn there if you'd like. And, and you can hold your finger, and I'll turn to other uh, passages. So Psalm 37, we're going to spend a, a bunch of our time. So, but there's, there's a war, and so what's the war? It's a war for the souls of men. This is a battle that has a lot of depth to it. And it's on the soulish level. Satan is trying to win his battle that he's waging against God's creation. And so basically there's this war for the souls of men. There's a war being waged for the souls of lost people and there's a war being waged for the souls or against the souls of saved people. I never really thought of it this way until I heard years ago when I was pastoring, went to a men's retreat up in, uh, further up north in Kansas, uh, a fellow that we knew from college, had gotten his uh, doctorate. He was invited to speak to the men's conference. And the second verse we're going to look at here, he, he zeroed in on the fact that there's a war against the soul. I, I, I'm just going to give it, I hope your mind can cap, uh, capture what I'm trying to say. But... <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, but there is a war against the soul. So, since there's a battle, since there's a warfare, this war on the spiritual realm is waged against the souls of people. So there's a war to defeat the lost, to conquer the lost, and there's a war to defeat those who are saved and to conquer those uh, who are living for the Lord. So, um, one of the verses that I... Uh, want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You don't have to turn. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So this is primarily the way I want to present it, a war against lost, the lost people. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 1 through 6, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden, thing, hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is hid, be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And here it is. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Messiah, Yeshua, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Yeshua's sake. Now, as I read this, now that I have to read it out loud, even Paul, I'm, he, he sounds crazy. What, can, I mean, I always try to think when I'm even preaching a message that this message might be heard by an unsafe person. So I'm trying to talk in my head. That's <laughs> why I get confused. I'm trying to talk to a lost person in my head and to save people in my head as I present this message. And I, I try to put myself in the position of that lost person, which was me at one time, having to hear this stuff. So, Paul, you're saying, 
But if our gospel is hid, is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Messiah, whose name is God, should shine unto them. That's a, that's a radical statement. That, that's verging on paranoia, I could hear an unsaved person say. Because one, they're not thinking that their minds are blinded. They're not even thinking about the God of this world, and they're not who, who would be Satan, and they're not even thinking about God. An unsaved person's living their life in oblivion to that verse. They are not aware that there is a satanic force that's out to get them. Their minds are blinded to the truth of the gospel, which says you are lost in your sins and need to be saved. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's like when I tried to witness to my mom. Tip, that was good for you. You needed it. <laughs> You know? Now, we're having to bring the gospel. I'm just going to preach and see how this goes. We have to bring the gospel message to people whose minds are blinded. They can't see any of this, and they're going to think we are absolutely crazy if they start to think about what we have to say. But yet, we have an obligation to penetrate the darkness with the truth of the gospel of God's word. That's the only thing that can break down the barriers of darkness that are, that's in the minds of the lost people. And, it, and so what I'm trying to get us to see where I'm going to go with this, and I, I, have, I do better when I don't have notes, where, where we have to go with this is we have the responsibility to get out the message. There's a barrier. There's a God of this world, the Satan. And he's attacking that lost person, his mind blind. We're trying to penetrate that darkness. All the while, Satan is working on us to defeat us. Right? Yeah. So there's two battles going on. We have to enter into the fray of trying to give out the gospel to this lost person. All the while, Spurgeon said uh, uh, that... The preacher's sins follow him into the pulpit. All the while, while we're telling them how wicked they are and how lost they are, we're thinking, wow, I just did this, I said yeah. that, I did this, I said that. And we start to crumble if we're trying to be honest with ourselves because our own sin gets in the way and we stumble over it. That's why I wrote my blog. If you haven't read my blog, read that blog. And so what we have to realize is God's people, I, you know... He's not waiting for us to totally get our act together before he wants us to get out there and do warfare. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. Otherwise, nothing's ever going to happen. But Satan hoodwinks us with our sin and, and how we get defeated and the arguments we've had or, or the arguments the wife has had with the husband. You know, all these things that go on in our lives. You know, the things that go on in men's minds. I don't know what goes on in women's minds. But we're constantly bombarded. And so we're fighting our own struggles, and we're just keeping our nose above the water, and God throws an unsaved person in front of us that we have to witness to. We're drowning already. And now I have to somehow have the reserves to say, is that guy who's drowning deeper than I am? So there's a war going on. That's why I ended the blog... <laughs> We are perfect in Yeshua. We go forth in an armor that's not our own. We have to just leave all of that behind because eternal souls are at stake here. And so I used to think Satan was really out to get the lost person. And he is. But I believe he's out to get us right. most of all. Right. And if we're and if we're defeated and and you know, struggling in our own self, which we always will be defeated and struggling in our own self, to the point where we just shut up or don't let our light shine, he's won. He's won. 
That's why that book, what's the name of that book? Extravagant Grace? is so important to read, and I just realized that Piper has uh, a message, I lost it or I'm reading it now, on the very same thing. We are, this is my own words, we're beset with ourselves. But if we're thinking we're going in our own strength to wage war, we're going to lose. Somehow, we are in Yeshua, we're clothed in His righteousness, and God is going to use us to fight the battles for him. All right, so does that make sense? All right, now, so he, so <clears throat> there's this, in whom the God of this world, so that's a battle for the souls of the lost people. Their minds blind. But also, <clears throat> there's a battle for the souls, not that our eternal souls in danger, but what I'm talking about is just our very existence, us, who we are. There's a battle for us to become whittled down to useless nothingness. All right, and, and so what I want to read, and you don't have to, but let me read it, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I don't constantly, and we need to, I don't constantly live this life with an awareness of the verse I just read, that, that lost person, his mind is blinded by the God of this world. But I'm saying, <clears throat> a person that is set for battle is pretty much ready to go. When a cop is out on the road, his mind is keen. Like you always say, you sit down and you pick the right places to sit and your eyes go in and you survey everything because you are in war mode, right, as a cop. All right, any soldier is in war mode. Unless, you know, in Vietnam they're smoking up and getting high, uh, off and on. But even in the midst of that, you're, you're, you're engaged. All right, so what I'm trying to do for me is those nice people that I work with I need to see that their minds are blinded by the God of this world. I just have to see that, right? We, I told you, we have to walk around and see these people as living zombies because they are dead in trespasses and sins. But we don't, right? We don't. We don't. I don't. And I lose sight of the fact that I'm a soldier engaged in battle. I'm going to say they're my enemy, but you know what I mean. That's the adversary, the enemy, or that, that one that I am trying to conquer for their own good. All right, now, um, the second part is us. And so I'm trying to get myself to, to live in this mindset, which is Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? We're in a battle that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. This is a war to soul thing. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He's out to get us. Take the helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So Paul is trying to get us to see that in Corinthians, there's a war for the soul of the lost. And, and we're going to get to it in just a minute with the next verse. But there's also war being waged against the soul or the vitality or our usefulness for God in, in the believer. Um, now, this is the verse. You might, might want to turn to this. This is the one that 
really opened up my eyes to, and I never would have seen or even used this verse the way the preacher used it. I hope I got it right. Oh, come on, let's jump into that. So 1 Peter, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> and I can, I can still remember the way he said it. He said it with such a, a questioning statement, like, is this really true? It, and I just, you know, have you ever had it? You listen to some sermon, and it just smacks you, and you say, I never thought of it this way. All right, 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved... I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And he stopped and said, a war against the soul? I never thought of that. I hope you can grasp it. I can't help you with it if you can't. But there is a war against the soul of the believer. And Satan will use any means available to wage war against us in this very being of who we are, to bring us down, to defeat us, and to be useless, and to want to lay aside the armor of God and say, what's the use anyway? And quit. And we can't. There's too much at stake. This has been so good for me because I have labored under, probably growing up, never quite good enough, got to get better. Then I get saved in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Great, you're saved, but you got to get better. You know, went off to Bible college. Yeah, you're even getting better, but you still need to get better. You know, and I've, I've measured myself by someday I will arrive. You know, I will finally win uh, the Masters in the golf tournament. You know, I will be that good that one day I will win the Masters. And, and no more will my golf abilities be in question because I've won one of the big majors in Christianity. But you know what? I am never going to win a majors in Christianity. You know, I'm never going to win a, 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 um, the master's equivalent in Christianity. And none of us are. Because we are never going to be able to shoot a score that is good enough to be good enough to where we're going to say, I'm finally good enough, I can hold up the jug and say, look at me, I'm sinless, I don't struggle with sin, I'm perfect, all my thoughts are good, I, you know, I'm a walking, talking Bible. You'll never get good enough. But that's the moral of it all. God uses um, clay pots. James Binney, I remember hearing him talking. Uh, Jack Hiles, when we heard Jack Hiles in Massachusetts, the fellow that came with him was James Binney. And he, and he preached how clay vessels. Well, he said, we're just clay pots. We're just clay pots. And God chooses to use clay pots. Not that beautiful vase that's just glorious that was holding the flowers there in front of the pulpit. You know, we are those brown clay pots. In comparison, right? That's who we are. All right, now, let's go back to Psalm, or go to Psalm 37. So, there's a war. <clears throat> what I want us to get here is, if Satan can take us down as believers, he's then going to be able to get to lost. I'm just saying we cannot, no matter what we go through, no matter what we do, no matter how far we may rise or how low we may sink, 
we have to, what we don't do is when we're doing and we're walking on water, we don't realize that we still, at that stage, need to be drawing our strength from Yeshua. When we're down here below the water, then we say, I need to draw my strength from Yeshua to get me to be strong again. But we need him for all of it. So even if we could walk on water, we still need his strength as much as we do when we're under the water and just drowning. All right, Psalm 37. I want to read this. I'm not going to comment on it. And this, this point should go quick. <clears throat> but this is, this is David. And this is a window into his life and his perspective on it. Which I think if the average person on the street heard this, he'd think, David, you're crazy. It cannot be that bad. But it is in David's perspective. So he starts out. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. I read that and I can't get past fretting not thyself because of what? Evildoers. I'm always fretting over this. You know, in a sense it bothers me. <clears throat> Sin is so rampant. Sin is so in our face anymore in our country. I mean, it's just sin with impunity. <clears throat> I mean, it's no whole bars. Everything's okay. And it bothers me, frustrates me, aggravates me, breaks my heart. I mean, I don't know how you don't fret yourself because of evildoers. It's not so much that, oh, you're mad at that person and, and how bad that person is, although that's part of it, I'm sure. But the other part is, ah, it just breaks my heart. You know, these people that are blinded to the sin that they're in, think they're enjoying a great time, at least on the surface as we see it. They're dead in trespasses and sins. So, I think it's the idea of fret not to get overwhelmed, but there needs to be a little bit of that or we're not going to be engaged. So, sorry I wasn't going to preach, but that's the main point here. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of the nation. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Just enter into this now, okay? Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. <clears throat> Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. <clears throat> Man. <clears throat> Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light, and thy judgment as a noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. It's, I can almost, I don't know if he's thinking this, but it's like, well, if they're going to do it and they get away, well, why am I not enjoying it as well, you know? <coughs> For evildoers shall be cut off, verse 9, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked man plotteth against the just, and gnashes upon him with his teeth. This is what I'm talking about. The Lord shall laugh at him. I love that. <laughs> For he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be 
of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. <clears throat> a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall <coughs> be as a fat of lambs. They shall consume, they, sh uh, they shall consume, uh, into smoke shall they consume away. 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. Well, that's my blog, 23 and 24. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous shall speak wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. <clears throat> The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hands, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of Jehovah. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And Jehovah shall help them and deliver them. <clears throat> he, he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So this is where I'm trying to, to get us to see. <clears throat> not that we have to live with the mindset that just never sees anything good and everybody's evil and rotten, but we have to be aware that we have adversaries. There's only two sides to this. There's no middle ground. It's either you're with God or you're with God. You're either with Yeshua or you're against Yeshua. I mean, that's what the Bible says. You're either of the truth, John tells us in 1 John, or you're a liar. <clears throat> I love First John because he really, there's no middle ground. You're either on the truth or you're a liar. That's it. And he uses the word liar over and over and over. Now, here's the problem, okay? There's this war going on for the souls of the lost and, and to bring down uh, the saints, the souls of the saints. Here's the problem. And it tells us basically uh, in verses 1 and 2, and, and the way I'm putting it is like this. Here's the problem. Sin has infected the world. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. It's, I, when I read that, it's like, it's like an infection. You know, he, this has to be cut out and pulled out and taken away and thrown away if, if the body is going to survive. And, and what has happened is sin has infected the world. And so we're seeing this as it's played out in the microcosm of David's life, David's world right now. 
Basically, when we read this psalm, we're supposed to see that David's life is a microcosm of the bigger picture. He has these elements that are trying to infect him, bring him down, destroy him, do everything they can to ruin him and his name. And so in the microcosm of David's world, if we spread it out to the world, I just see it as an infection. And sin really is an infection. We're talking about, what were we talking about infecting the body? Yeah, but, but what gets in there? Bacteria. <clears throat> sin is like a bacteria. And because the structure of lost man is, 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 uh, um, uh, is, yes, but the body doesn't have proper nutrition. So because the world doesn't have the proper nutrition to fight off the sin, sin invades the lost and they succumb to it. Sin has invaded everything. At the fall with Adam and Eve, whoosh, it was pure. Everything could fight off sin and, and, the, and the infection of sin, but as soon as the fall, you start dying. Why? Sin and its effect. So I just want us to see how many times this is revealed in Psalm. All right, verse 9. Evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, for yet a little while in the wicked shall not be. Verse 12, the wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy uh, and to slay those that are of upright conversation. You need to meditate on that and to slay such as be of upright conversation. I mean, there's a consorted effort to just take down those that are trying to do right in Yeshua. 16, um, this, uh, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of the wicked. 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 20, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord. Verse 21, the wicked borroweth. Verse 28, the second part, the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 32, the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Verse 35, I have seen the wicked in great power. Verse 38, the transgressor shall be destroyed. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. And verse 40, uh, he shall deliver them from the wicked. It's all throughout. This psalm is incredible. <laughs> it's like either David is a paranoid schizophrenic or he's really experiencing this because this just sounds like somebody that's so absorbed with himself that the whole world's out to get me. Everybody's out to get me. Oh, it's everybody against me. I'm the only one who was me. But I think, you know, God doesn't have David write this stuff just because it's just for him and we can say, oh yeah, that's interesting about David. This is a window into the greater world of existence. And we have to take what is happening to David, who's a picture of the Messiah who was to come, and it's also a picture of us who are in Messiah. This is where we live. Sin has infected the world. And we're living with the ramifications. I mean, don't you long... I, I find myself anymore just longing for the reign of Yeshua when the birds will be singing the sky will be blue. I'll have a full head of hair and no glasses. You know, it's, I can't wait. Because when we look around, sin has infected everything. There's not one thing. These little kids, as wonderful as cute as they are, 
Sin has infected them. All right, now, so what I've done here is put three sermons into one. This is what has happened. Because I had three sermons, and that's where, I, where, where I am now, Judy said last week, she said, if you don't preach it, you know, by the time you get to preach, you won't preach this. And I said, I know. You know, I, I always say I have like three sermons that I work on through the week because I do. Something comes up, and I throw two away. Well, I keep the notes, but. So I decided I'm going to put it all together this week. So there's a war being waged for the souls of men, the problem sin has infected the world. So what's the antidote? Now, this was really, it's probably for me, but I'm going to give it to you. What's the antidote? I think it's twofold. Our walk and our witness. So I'm reading through Psalms, and um, I think it was Psalm 30, where it's, and we're going to get to that, where, where the psalmist says that, that the Lord has kept him alive. And he's kept them alive for a reason. <clears throat> so, it, those of you who are here who know me, because you know me, um, I didn't want to say the other part. Um, I wonder why God keeps me alive. There's hardly a day that goes by when I just don't wonder why God hasn't already taken me out. You know, I talk with Kate, and it's so, it's so refreshing to talk to her, because she and I were on a safe wavelength. She says, yeah. She says, I, I don't know why God would ever, she says something to say, I don't know why God would ever want to use me. So I'm just so wicked. I mean, I know my own sin. Why would God want to use me and bless me? Well, that's where I live, in my head. <clears throat> so I, I constantly question, well, why does keep me God keep me alive? Why does God keep any of us alive? Anybody here that can really raise their hand and say, you know what, I, I, it makes perfect sense why God's keep me alive. I got it. We do have one hand that has been raised here, um, right? I mean, once you get saved, I have found the longer that I've been saved, the more my sin comes back to haunt me. And the closer I get, try to get to God, the more Satan fights against me. You know, and I don't know if it's age or whatever it is. And so then you get to this point, and it's like, so why is God keeping me alive anyway? You know, I, have I really brought him glory? Have I been as useful as I could have been, should have been, he wanted me to be? You know, is there a bright future of usefulness for me down the road? What, what's going on here? I've come to accept the fact, based on what I've already said, that I don't have to wait until I become perfect. God's keeping his people alive because we're the light he has to shine. You know, we're it. You know, you can have that little silver flashlight, pen flashlight that I have. You know, you can put that on, you know, and you pay $2 for it. And it has a light. It looks good. I was all happy about that. Then Koi came around with this other flashlight that he got, you know, with this super humongous bulb that, you know, shines. It's the same size. I mean, it dwarfs it. His light shines on my light. My light's no more there. You know, it's like, I can't have that. <laughs> so, of course, I lost it. Just It's in the house somewhere. But the point being... Whether you're that little cheap silver flashlight or that humongously powerful thing, both the same size, that's the light God has to work with. <laughs> you know, if, if that silver little silver flashlight is going to wait to become like that cool-looking black thing that really shines, that light will never, it'll, it, and it has, it'll sit in my pocket and do nothing. It's like, why even bother with it? But that's the light it can shine. 
And it worked for me until I saw this better light. So if, if I'm the silver flashlight, that's the light I have to shine. At least shine it, right? <laughs> At least let it shine. That's where I'm trying to get. So why does God keep us around? Well, he knew that Warren would only have these many, what do they rate the light things? Warren's only ever going to have five lumens. Yeah, that, you know, Spurgeon, he had 75 lumens. You know, Whitfield, he had, you know what I'm saying? And we all have our lumens. Can I say it that way? I'm just thinking it's off the top of my head. And God knew that. If I'm going to wait to become a George Mueller to shine, I might as well just give up because I'm never going to be a George Mueller. That's okay. So God wants us to shine. We are the antidote. So why does God keep us alive? Because he wants our light to shine. Now, what's the antidote? Well, it starts with our walk, meaning he says right off, in, in verse 1, verse 7, verse 8. Don't fret. Fret not. In other words, we're to keep ourselves together. Don't despair. Don't give in. And don't give up. Yeah, it, it sounds so, so, so easy to comprehend. I don't know why it's been such a struggle. But if you're just going to sit there and give up, what good is that? If you're going to give in or despair... Or think the battle's lost, or what can I do anyway? And that's where Satan wants us to get. I mean, are you as human as I am? I mean, right? How many times do we keep our mouths shut? Because when God says, open it. All right, so where to fret now? Now our walk. I'm not going to labor on this, but I just want you to see this. So how, what's the antidote? The antidote is us fretting not, letting our light shine, saying, God, here I am, use me. Please. So, how do we do this? All right. It has to do with, I'm connecting it with the word Lord or Yeshua. And I'm not going to say much about it. But here's part of it. This is our walk. How do we walk? Trust in the Lord and do good. That's part of our walk and that's part of the antidote. I'm going to go forward. I said I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to go forward trusting Jehovah and in the process I am going to do right. I am going to do good. I'm going to be obedient. So trust in the Lord and do good. That's part of the antidote. What's the antidote for the sin of this world? Verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Be happy in Yeshua. Trust <laughs> and be happy in Yeshua. There's no other way to be happy in Yeshua but to trust and obey. Just, yeah, you've messed up. You've blown it. You're not what you should be. You don't measure up to the person right next to you. But delight in the Lord anyway. Yeah. You know, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Delight. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Eeyore. I'm lowly worm. Why should I delight? I have no reason to delight. Why, you know, I'm sure he's just... No! That's the devil working against the soul. And that's he's trying to take me down how he, how he tries to take you down. You know what? Yeah! But I'm going to trust. I'm going to do good. I'm going to delight. Third, verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. You know, steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He gets to it later on in the psalm. Commit your way to the Lord. You know, that that means whether you are Hannah's father-in-law who has 
uh, rectal cancer, right? That's probably going to die from it soon. Commit that. That's the way God has. I hate to say it scares me because now it's like everything bad is going to happen. You know, but that's, see, what I'm saying is we commit our way to God, whether it's pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, or uh, Chris's grandfather in his 70s, if I have this wrong, he's up there trimming a tree or something. He's in a tree. Did he fall down? Do I have this right? Falls out of a tree. What are you doing in a tree at 77? Anyway. <laughs> And, and now he's in the hospital. I don't know if he's in an induced coma so his body can rest so they can do an operation. He may die from this. <sighs> okay. Or Ed, Ed, Ed Nichols in our congregation, who, when he was a teenager, graduation night, I think it was, in high school, they built, a, uh, had, we're going to have a big bonfire, and he worked at the gas station, so he brought gas, but he had his work clothes on. He threw the gas onto the fire, lit it, but because he had fumes or something, it was too close, it caught his leg on fire. Well, his leg was burned. Well, now it's 30 years later, whatever it was, he was in his 50s, he's at some conference, he's walking up the steps, he slips, his, his leg hits a step, and the skin just peels off. He's got cancer in his leg. They whack it off, whack it off, whack it off. He ends up dying anyway, but I'm telling you, the death of Ed and his journey in that, I've not, it was remarkable. Ed Nichols, I don't care. It was remarkable. I mean, that guy's face, well, I'm going to cry. Ah, his face is shown. He had such a sweet fellowship with the Lord that he never had before in the midst of committing his way to the Lord. This is huge to me. But if we can't, we're not going to let our light shine. Ed's light shone. It was incredible. It was just, it was a wonder to behold, quite frankly. I can still picture it while I was in the living room and I'm standing back in myself saying, wow. It's almost like an angel unawares. It was incredible. So, so, the antidote, fret not, okay, our walk, we trust, we delight, we commit, and then verse 7, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently. Well, you know how hard that is? How long, God, the psalmist cries out, how long until you act? You know, thankfully, he's long-suffering. You know, once you get on, the, on this other side of salvation, all of a sudden, it's like, Wow, look how wicked they are. Why doesn't God just take them out? And we just forget we were over here not too long ago, right? You know, it's, I, I, I purposely work on because I, I'm around some people that are, according to the Bible, pretty wicked people. And, and I don't have this anymore, but I know I've had this in the past, not towards them, but others. Yeah, you know, you just fret. And you, you want them removed. Then you forget you were just over there not too long ago yourself. Rest. Be patient. The long-suffering of the Lord is for his purpose, we're told, to work out the salvation of the lost. So, yeah, we look at America, and I'm disheartened by it. It's, it's just fallen to the devil. It's done over with. And I'm fretting over this, and it's bothering me. Well, I just have to rest. God has a purpose and a point in all of this. I need to let my light shine. So I heard a preacher say, the greater the darkness, the more the light shines. Right? All right. So that's the first part, our walk. Now, here's the part that I, I want us to really get, our witness. So what's the antidote to the sin that has infected the world? It is, right now, our walk. We need to trust, delight, commit, rest in the Lord. But the second part, and this is what I, I just, it so helped me, and I hope I can convey this. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what it is. 
our witness. God keeps us alive for a purpose. I'm going to try to meld these together. Why? So that we can display his loving kindness, his faithfulness, and his truth. And they're all in the psalm. And I put it together this way because it's just how it fell into my head. And I think because of, you know, the scenario that I'm involved in frequently. All right, so I know I'm recapping over and over. There's a war against the souls of men. The problem is sin has infected the world. But there's an antidote. We're to fret not in our walk, but also we are to bear witness because God, we're alive right now. He's keeping us alive for a purpose. What is that purpose? He wants us to display or manifest his loving kindness, his faithfulness, and his truth. Now, go to Psalm 88. This, this just kind of happened because I was, I'm not up in Psalm 88 now, but when I read Psalm 30, which is where we're going to get to, this triggered this thought, and there were some cross-references that took me to different verses, but these I honed in and zeroed in on. All right, Psalm 88. I, I want you to see the verses, then I'm going to try to explain this, all right? All right, and it's not that big of a deal, but I need to try to explain. So Psalm 88. <clears throat> so it's, my Bible says, prayer in the face of death. All right, and it's probably, yeah, I've tried to see who, who wrote this. It's not David. It says Maskell of Heman the Ezraite. Uh, this is some other, it doesn't matter, but this is, here isn't David. But it's prayer in the face of death. So we're not going to read it. But um, verse 10 is not a verse. But wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Here's our verse, two parts in this. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or thy faithfulness in destruction? So the psalmist here is saying, listen, God, you need to keep me alive. Please keep me alive. Because if I die, I am not going to be able to declare your loving kindness or your faithfulness. If I'm not around anymore, I mean, at least if you keep me around, I can be a living demonstration of your loving kindness and your faithfulness. All right, then go back to Psalm 30. And here... David says, you know, this. I figured out why God's keeping me alive. And so this will be the third part of it. Psalm 30, um, verse 3. O Yehovah, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down <clears throat> to the pit. All right, and then verse 9. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Here it is. Shall it declare thy truth? I, to me, this was probably life-changing. I've known all this, but I never put it together. So why is God keeping us alive? To show his loving kindness, his faithfulness, and his truth. We have a responsibility and an obligation to show these three things. And I actually, when I just ha was pulling this together, had an opportunity to share it with a woman that I work with at work, who's a very nice woman, but, but you know, not saved. Very nice. We, we work together, like her a lot, if you ever happen to hear this. Um, yeah. and, um, but because of the scenario that she and I are aware of at work, I was more or less probably expected to respond in a certain way. But I, I, I haven't and, and don't. And so in the process of trying to figure out how I'm supposed to maneuver and work and how much do I say, not say, when do I say it, do I say anything? 
And you face all that wherever you work, whenever you're around lost people. So it's not just where I am. It's, it's unique wherever you are. How do we inject the antidote that is us into this environment that is infected by sin? <laughs> right? That's it. How do I get myself into this infected area of sin. And once I get there, what am I supposed to do then? Right? Do I say something? Do I not say anything? Do I respond? Do I not respond? Do I get mad? Do I not get mad? You know, you, you know what I'm going through, right? This is real stuff. But it hit me, and I was sharing it with this lady. I said... I said most to her, most people expect a preacher is going to respond towards this particular sin in a certain way. But I said, I don't. Because I believe all are born in sin and just manifest it one way or the other. And I said, I am not going to sit in judgment and say things. But I said, and I'm saying to us, I, I'm saying to her, we, to you, we have a responsibility in the midst of the infected environment that we're in to shine our light, no matter what lumen we are, to declare, manifest His loving kindness, His faithfulness, and His truth. Okay, you following me? Make sense? All right, now, as my mind, and I was working this out kind of with her, so I have to do three things. Show God's loving kindness, show God's faithfulness, Manifest God's truth. Ooh, that's the problem. That's the problem. We, I, are obligated to speak on behalf of the truth. That's it. Okay, now, that's the hard one. The easy one is love. Just love. God is love. Jesus is love. We're all love. All we have to do is love. Well, that, you know, first you have to define love, and I don't want to get into that, but we, that's the easy part of this. We can talk about the love of God, the love of Yeshua. Yes, when we were dead in trespasses and sin, God sent His only beloved Son because He loves the world. You know, every, that's great news. I eventually have to get to the truth. Not palatable. Palatable. All have sinned and come short of the glory. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all those that forget God. God is angry with the wicked every day. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know, and on and on and on, right? I want to just talk about the love of God. But we have to give the truth. Now, how do you bridge the two? The one hand is, you got this one, yeah, I, this other one over here is a whole lot harder. So how do, how do we bridge this? And, and, and so as I'm fleshing this out and talking with her, and some of it was on my mind already, is God is faithful between the two extremes. There's his loving kindness. There's his truth. But he's in the middle bridging that gap by his faithfulness. Meaning, and I said, God has given us his word in which it reveals his loving kindness and his truth. And God is consistent with his word. He's already told us in his word 
everything he wants us to know. And so there are standards, and God has set the standards. I can tell you about the love of God, but I also have to tell you the truth. But what bridges us together is God is faithful to his word. He's given us his word, and he will be faithful to who and what he is. There's no changing with God. So that when you come to him, you know exactly who he is. And you've seen his loving kindness and his truth. Our responsibility is to bridge that gap. We are the ones that somehow have to convey the message that God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And we can rest in that because he's an unchanging God that's always true to himself and his word. So if you want to know about the love of God and the truth of God, you have to go to him for the source. And in it, you will get the blend of who and what God is. Right? So that's our goal. To somehow be that faithful person to the truth. Without attitude, without condemnation, without sappy love. But we somehow have to show the love of God. And John 3, 16 is the best. For God so loved the world that his son had to die for your sin. Now we're getting into the truth. Yes, all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. What do I do? God loved you enough to tell you what you need to hear because he's true to himself, he's faithful, and you can rely upon him. And if you will reach out to him through Yeshua, right? Honey, have I said it well enough? Isn't this exciting? I mean, I think it's exciting. There's a war. Get our head out of this land. Satan's out to get the lost. He's out to get us. Okay. War is on. We're engaged. Now we have to survey the enemy. It's a sin-infected world that we're stepping into. How do we do that? Our walk and our witness. Right? That's it in a nutshell. A war. The enemy is a sin-infected world. But God has placed us here to let our light shine in our walk personally. First part. And then our witness when we go out. To bridge the gap between his love and his truth by focusing on the fact that he is true to himself and faithful to his word. And I'm convinced, this is a side note, just happened to come. I'm convinced this is why we have a gazillion Bible translations, because what is true? Where do we find it? What Bible do we find it? And I've had all to say, well, that Bible says this, this Bible says that. And Satan is a master strategician. And this is now part of the battle that we have to fight. What is the Word of God? And, and that book that the unsaved guy wrote about the King James Bible um, that we're reading, he, in essence, said that. It's so confusing now, there's no... Surety as really what is the word of God anymore. It's just there's no surety of it. So anyway, I hope that I hope that blessed you. It blessed me. It, you know, because blah, it's clear now in my head. I can see it. You know, I can see it. I know what my mission is. And I don't fear having to give the truth because I can now temper it with. God's faithfulness. This is his love, his message. I am just the one that's bringing it to you, and I can do this in a, in a way that brings it to together because I know my God loves you. God is faithful. He's told you what the answer is, what, the, what you need to do. 
And now it's on you. But I've done my responsibility, right? Ah, it's awesome! Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, anyway, finish it, pull it together, um, take out the chaff, but use it somehow for your glory to strengthen us as your people. And uh, we love you. In Yeshua's name. What's your password again? Four cards. Oh.